Welcome to the 368th episode of the Reading and Writing Podcast. Stay tuned for my interview with Robert Wong, author of the historical novel The Opium Lord's Daughter. And stay tuned after the interview when Robert reads from his novel The Opium Lord's Daughter. The Reading and Writing Podcast is brought to you by Libro FM. Libro.fm lets you purchase audiobooks directly from your favorite local bookstore. You can pick from more than 185,000 audiobooks, including bestsellers and recommendations from booksellers. You'll get the same audiobooks at the same price as the largest audiobook company out there, but you'll be part of a different story, one that supports your local community and your local bookstore. If you're new to audiobooks, they're the perfect way to get more books into your busy life. You can listen during your commute, while doing chores, walking the dog, or just relaxing at home. All you need is a smartphone and the free Libro.fm app. If you already love audiobooks and don't know what to listen to next, check out recommendations and curated lists from people who know audiobooks best your local bookseller. Here's your special offer from the Reading and Writing Podcast. Get two audiobooks for the price of one today with your first month of membership with the code RWPODCAST at checkout. This offer is only valid for new members in Canada and the U.S. Check out Libro.fm today. Welcome back to the Reading and Writing Podcast. My guest today is Robert Wong, author of the historical novel, The Opium Lord's Daughter. Robert, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Jeff. Glad to be here. Sure. Well, if someone listening hasn't heard about your historical novel, The Opium Lord's Daughter, how would you describe the novel? Well, I would describe it as a uh, a novel with a lot of historical facts about the Opium Wars, which is the story that I wanted to tell. But there's been so many uh, textbooks written about it. Well, not so many. I mean, there's about a dozen textbooks written about the Opium War, but very few people know about it. So what I decided to do was to take the historical events that actually happened, and then I created a plot line that I hope attracted would, would attract a lot of readers to the story because of the plot line. And so I would be entertaining the readers as they found out what actually happened during the uh, the uh, the mid 1800s uh, when this uh, war took place. I think it's a story that needs to be told because so few people know about it, and because of its implications today of how China deals with the Western world. Because they were bullied so severely back then, they are you know making it very clear that they're not going to be bullied ever again. So I thought it's a story worth telling. So if someone listening isn't familiar with the Opium Wars and exactly what happened, obviously you wrote the novel and they should read your novel, but could you explain um, uh, that period of history for someone who's not familiar? Sure, be happy to. England wanted a lot of uh, products from China, mainly tea, but a lot of furniture, porcelain, silk, spices, and whatnot. They wanted to buy all that from China, and they actually did at the very beginning, but China would only take silver in trade. They didn't want anything from England. China is a very proud uh, nation back then and didn't think that they needed anything from the outside world. So they would only take silver. 
So after buying, you know, tons and tons and tons of stuff, England was being to worry about, you know, running out of silver. So what they did, they went to uh, India, another colony of, uh, of the uh, British Empire at that time, and they took opium from India, brought it to China and sold it to the Chinese for the Chinese silver, and then used those silver to buy the tea, the porcelain, the silk and spices and etc. to get back to England. And uh, the result is that over 10 million drug addicts, uh, opium drug addicts, uh, uh, you know, was created. And then when the when the emperor finally you know, took note of it and say stop this opium trade, that is when the trouble began. He sent a special emissary, Lin Shizu was his name, to Canton where the opium were docking. Oh, by the, and by the way, at that time, Canton was the only port that the Chinese imperial palace would allow foreign ships to dock. No, they wouldn't allow them to go anywhere else in China to try to limit uh, Western influence to its population. So what happened was uh, England uh, started a war to continue shipping opium to China. In today's world, that would be really, really uh, <laughs> unacceptable. But back then, the British Empire was strong, and that's what they wanted to do. And they couldn't do without Chinese tea and Chinese pr products. And they, and they basically forced the issue. So what happened was Lin Shizu confiscated over a thousand tons of uh, opium and destroyed them. And the British Empire sent the Navy there to uh, punish the Chinese, wanted to be paid back for the opium and, uh, and attack China. So that's how the opium war started. Um, so how did you research the history of the opium wars as you were writing your novel? Oh, I pretty much read all the uh, books that's been written, the English books. My Chinese proficiency is quite low because I went to an American uh, high school back in Hong Kong in uh, eighth grade. So my Chinese proficiency is not that, uh, not that good. But there's been a lot of Chinese books written about it, but I'm not able to, uh, to read them as, as well as I can read English. So I read all the English books about it. But growing up in Hong Kong, I knew about the Opium War because I studied uh, Chinese history in, in the Chinese school before I went to the American school. So I knew something about it. But I was quite surprised that they didn't teach that in English schools. And none of the students in the American school knew anything about the Opium War. They don't know that Hong Kong, where I was and where the, where the other Americans were in, in school in Hong Kong, they didn't even know that Hong Kong, the history of why Hong Kong became a British colony. Well, it became a British colony because China basically forced, I'm sorry, England forced China to give them Hong Kong so they can use that as a base for the opium uh, ships. So, so what are your earliest memories of reading and books when you were young? The earliest memory I have of the Opium War was when I was taught that in school in sixth grade and seventh grade. Uh, back then, I went to the Chinese school, so they taught that. And when I, when I learned the history of the Opium War, I was quite surprised myself because I didn't know anything about that. And to think that where I was living, Hong Kong, was taken from China, you know, it, 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 was, it was kind of an a moment of awakening for me to understand why Hong Kong became British and why the British Empire you know, 
kind of bullied China into taking Hong Kong. So that that started my my uh, I guess the, the the fire in my belly, I suppose, about uh, the opium war, and I've, I wanted to write about it ever since uh, ever since uh, uh, graduating from uh, high school. But I finally did it after I retired from business at the age of sixty-five. So. And and so, what was that process like for you? I mean, you said you had always been interested in writing about the opium wars, um, and you had this career in business. I'm assuming you weren't writing fiction or novels while you were uh, having your career in business. What what was it like when you sat down to finally write in your sixties? Well, that's that's a good question. What happened was in 2004, I suffered a heart attack. And uh, I almost died. I was in the hospital. And, uh, you know, like everybody else, you know, you, you, you start to think about, you know, kind of reflect on your life and, and make a list of what you really want to do before you really die. So a few things was on my list and writing this book was on the list. So when I got out of the hospital, this is 2004, I started thinking more and more about it. I also made a decision that I would slow down my business activity. I was quite active, flying all over the world doing international business. And then I finally retired completely in 2005 and became more, more, uh, had more free time, if you will. So I did a few things. I started reading more books and I started, you know, following up on that. But I really didn't get started on writing this novel probably until about uh, just four or five years ago. I started, you know, thinking about, you know, making notes about, you know, what what events during the Opium War I should pick to fit my to fit my novel. And I started creating characters in my novel in my head so that I can live those characters, so I can understand those characters. And then I started developing those characters, developing the plot line, plot line and continue my research. And then I took a trip to China, actually, two years ago. No, actually, a little longer than two years ago. And uh, went to the places where these events took place to really you know, emotionally engage with, uh, with what happened there by seeing the, the locations. So when I came back from the trip, and by the way, on that trip, because of my connection to UCLA and uh, UCLA, uh, the Asian department, connected me to some of the best scholars in China about the Opium War. And I was fortunate enough to meet all of them and spend a good fair amount of time with them learning about, you know, what they wrote about the Opium War and a lot of details and nuances that are not in books. So when I came back from the trip, I was very inspired to really, you know, take, take the writing seriously and basically locked myself in my office in my house and started writing every day. And I had so much ideas and so many ideas and so much uh, inspiration from the trip that I knocked out my first uh, first version in about uh, three months. And then through my editor, we worked together. I rewrote the book six times and then finally was happy with the product. And that's when I self-published the book. And so are you uh, working on another no- novel now? Yes, I am. I'm doing research on the Empress Dowager CZ, CZ is her name, which is the last uh, very, very powerful uh, uh, Empress. Uh, and uh, her story is very controversial and also very, very not well known to the Western world. So I thought I'd take a crack at uh, creating a storyline, a fictional storyline, and do what I did with the uh, Opium War story use historical facts, but tell a very engaging, entertaining uh, story 
to to tell the history. Great. Well, given all of your research and writing your novel, The Opium Lord's Daughter, about the opium wars, how how, in your opinion, does that period in history um, reverberate and impact um, today's relations with China and the U.S. and, and other countries? That's a very, very good question. When I wrote the book, Jeff, I wanted to also incorporate some contemporary uh, issues. The fact that China was bullied, and by the way, China refers to that era from 1840 to 1940 when Japan invaded China. They refer to that era pretty much officially as a hundred years of shame because they were bullied severely by outside forces, by foreign forces. So today, even as early as probably last year, I think it was, when they were talking about you know, influences of the Western world to China, they did bring up the Opium War, especially during the handover. And I was uh, fortunate enough to be, to be there during the handover back to China in 1997. Opium War was mentioned again. They are determined. China is a superpower today, Jeff. They are determined never to let a foreign power bully them again. And that is something that the Western world, especially the United States, need to sort of understand where they're coming from. You know, and, and you can see, you know, what's going on in Hong Kong right now, too. And, and it relates to what's going on in Hong Kong as well. China wants Hong Kong back in its fold. And, uh, and, uh, you know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. The, regardless of what regime it's under, whether it's socialist, communist, or capitalist, and China right now is kind of a combination of all of those three right now, uh, regardless of what regime, they want Hong Kong back. And the Hong Kong residents, understandably, because they never lived in China, never ruled by China, are very nervous about that. And that's kind of, kind of the dynamics that's going on right now. And, uh, and, and, I, and I hope when people read my book, they will sort of understand where China's coming from in how they are dealing with the West because of what's happened to them during the Open War and after the Open War. China felt like a colony you know, when Western powers influenced it so severely. If you go to Shanghai, you'll see remnants of that all over the place, you know, the French Quarter, the British Quarter, the American Quarters, and, and whatnot. And China really wants to you know, clean the slate in terms of having Western powers telling them what to do. 
So it's it's a it's a kind of a sensitive diplomatic situation right now, and I think it would help both sides if we understood each other's uh, historical background and each other's perspective. The United States is not wrong to want China to open up and to be more democratic and all that. It's not wrong to do that, but the approach by which they they try to persuade China to do that is something. Uh, a little bit sensitive to China, let's say. Sure. So, so given your experience of, of writing your novel, what writing advice would you offer for listeners who are working on their own stories or novels? <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm sort of an accidental writer, if you will. You know, I've been business. I've been in business my entire life. I just wanted to write this book, but when I started writing it, I enjoyed it so much that I, you know, I'm writing a second book already, and I've got a few more book ideas in my head. So I guess the only advice I have is just to share my experience, and that is I felt very strongly about telling the story, so strongly that I spent a lot of time reading, researching, going to China, talking to talking to everybody there who, who were experts in the, in the subject. And when I came back, I was very inspired. So I guess my advice is, you know, feel inspired and commit to that inspiration. And that's what I did. And I'm a highly disciplined person, you know, when it comes to, you know, working on projects and whatnot. So I basically, you know, locked myself in my office and brain dumped my, my, my thoughts and ideas and the storyline. I did not write an outline. I, I was not trained as a writer. So I just kind of winged it on my own. And I just put down, you know, just put down the storyline in, in, in blurbs and I, made a notes, probably thousand, you know, notations that I took from books that I read that I thought were important historical events, uh, historical events to put into my novel. So I organized that in terms of chronology, the time-wise, and then I organized my plot line and I kind of integrated the two so that the story is credible. When I'm talking about you know, certain events in the, in the, uh, in the fictional line, it actually corresponds well with the actual historical events so that you know the, the story becomes more credible those who who are history students when they read my novel will see that these events actually took place and that i created a, a fictional plot integrate or interact with those uh with those historical events so that's what i did i don't i don't know if that if that helps the uh help the uh, helps another, another writer who's thinking about writing historical novel but that's what i did Sure. So, so were there any writers or books that inspired you as you were working on your novel? Well, on the uh, well, yes. The, the answer is yes. I of all the uh, books I read uh, 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 relating to the Opium War, I liked uh, the, the book uh, by uh, <laughs> by Peter Ward Fay. Called the Opium War, but the style of writing that I was really inspired by is uh, Tom Clancy, for example. I knew Tom when he was a when he was alive, and I met him a few times, and I really enjoyed his company and enjoyed the way he wrote. And we talked about his writing style, and he was an inspiration to me. I don't know if you can catch that when you read my book, but you know the way he goes into detail about certain. You know, technology and 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 um, and uh, and certain events gave 
gave his storyline more credibility. So I, I took that as inspiration when I wrote my book. And I when I when I talk about you know the uh, the Nemesis, which is a British uh, uh, ship, uh, a, a steam powered uh, a, a, a frigate at the time, I went into more details about what that ship looked like, what was involved, what kind of weaponry was involved. Now some some people might find it a little bit uh, too much, too many details, but to me that gave the book more credibility that I knew what I was writing about because I did research about that ship. And I did research about a lot of the other things I put into there of historical value so that the book has, feels more credible in terms of its historical content. So that's what I did. Sure. So what novels or nonfiction books have you read recently that you enjoyed? Recently, let's see. Recently, I've been doing most research for my next book. The books I've been reading recently have to do with the, uh, of the Empress Dowager. Uh, and about women in China, about uh, about uh, some of the the rebellions that was going on in China at the time. I'm digesting all that information, hoping that it would gel in my head as I develop my plot line, so that I can use the use what I'm reading right now as part of my uh, part of my uh, writing when I when I actually sit down and write the book. I've only you know write I've really written about maybe a hundred pages right now of my next novel. And uh, and the era that I'm writing right now is pretty complicated. A lot of things are going on in China. And uh, I don't want to make the book too burdensome in terms of historical content versus the, uh, the fictional plot line. So, so you know, I haven't really spent time reading other books other than the books that I'm, that, that I think will help me with my next book. Got it. So where can people find you online if they'd like to learn more about you and your novel? Oh, sure. I have a website. Uh, it's robertwongauthor.com. And, uh, and uh, you know, it, it tells you a little bit about, about my background, about the book I've written, and some of the awards that I've been uh, receiving. I was quite surprised. Call it beginner's luck. <laughs> when this book came out and, and my publicist, Kathleen Kaiser, and uh, you know, entered it into some competition. I was uh, quite surprised that I was uh, awarded full awards so far. So I'm I'm flattered and surprised. That's great. Well, again, we've been speaking with Robert Wong, author of the historical novel The Opium Lord's Daughter. The novel is available now, so go buy a copy. And Robert, thanks for doing this interview. Not at all. It's my pleasure, Jeff. And now, stay tuned as Robert Wong reads from his novel, The Opium Lord's Daughter. When Higgins turned 16, he felt drawn to a career as a sailor. He knew about the Orient, that exotic home of tea and silk and other fancy goods coming off the merchant ships that arrived regularly in London. Higgins wanted to see the world and earn some money, and merchant ships to the Orient seemed like his best option. He took a berth on the Red Rover, Jardine's opium clipperbach. The Red Rover was bound for India, but how that connected to purchasing tea from China was still a mystery to Higgins. So how does this opium run connect to the China trade? He asked his team captain Joseph McNeil after an evening at a public house to celebrate his graduation and first commission. McNeil nearly dropped his mug in surprise. You don't bloody know? No, sir, I do not, said Higgins. 
Well, lad, it works like this: we want what the Chinamen make, but they don't want to trade for anything we've got to offer except sterling. But we're spending more on Chinese tea and other goods than we've got in the exchequer. So what do you think we do? Higgins thought carefully. We offer something they do want. Good lad, we found something they did want, and we sold it to the yellow bastards for their own silver, which we handed back to them for tea and silk and porcelain. McNeil pounded the public house table. What do you think of that, lad? And the Chinamen want opium. Want it? McNeil snorted. Once we started selling so much of it, the buggers got bloody well addicted to the stuff. Can't get in. Can't get on without it. Which works out well for all of us, eh? Higgins tried to imagine a land where everyone was besotted from smoking opium. They just lie around and smoke it all day lawfully. Not at all, lad. It ain't. But the bureaucrats are so bloody corrupt. We can do anything if we pay off the right Chinaman bosses. Higgins scratched his head. But we're breaking Chinese law then. He changed the direction of his questions. So we buy the opium cheap in India, is that it? Aye, it's bloody brilliant. No better place to grow the stuff than India. Comes from poppies, did you know? The East India Company has a monopoly, which means no one else can sell it. So we look the other way while English merchants buy the opium and transport it to China on their ships, pass it by corrupt Chinese customs men, and sell it to the Chinese dealer who peddle it all over China. The Chinese dealers pay the merchants in silver, and they use it to purchase tea and fancy goods. McNeil paused. Bloody pathetic! So many of the monkeys are smoking it that Mister Jardine can't keep up. He's got to build more ships and hire more young lads like you to sell them. And thanks to the East India Company, not one other country can get a part of the business. God save the king! McNeil lifted his mug. But sir. How long can this last? Higgins wondered. As long as Mister Jardine has ships and His Majesty has India, said McNeil. Can you imagine giving up tea, or paying a hundred times as much for it? Higgins was still curious. And what's it like, opium? Why are so many Chinamen smoking it? And how much are we shipping? Do you reckon? Damn me! But you ask a lot of questions, lad. McNeil drained his ale and wiped his mustache with the back of his hand. From what I hear, it takes away all a man's pains, makes life slip by like floating on a cloud, and I expect most of those yellow buggers have plenty of mystery to smoke away, kowtowing to the rich man, carrying burdens on their backs like bloody donkeys, and once they get a taste for it, there's no stopping them, which is good for business, eh? McNeil paused. As to how much we are shipping. Fellow who keeps the books for Mister Jardine told me, it's more than a thousand tons a year. A thousand tons. He shook his head in wonder. Can you even imagine? Higgins set sail on the Red Rover as second assistant to the navigator, excited to begin his career as a world traveler. As soon as his ship docked and he was given leave, Higgins set off to explore Bombay. The people in their outlandish clothing, the smell and the taste of the foods cooking in street stalls, the jasmine incense drifting over market tables of vegetables and spices, the doe-eyed women, 
It was all new to Higgins, everything he had hoped for. The East India Company was everywhere Higgins looked. It had its own militia of 250,000 men, he learned, and the company appeared to be in control of everything. It had received its royal charter from Queen Elizabeth in 1600, 12 years after England defeated the Spanish Armada. English merchants saw great opportunities for trade in the East Indies after the Spanish ceded control, and the East India Company was one of the first to take advantage of the freshly opened markets. Higgins watched wagons after wagons arrived at the docks, each packed full of opium chests. Indian and Persians working for the East India Company conducted actions of the op- auctions of the opium out in the open like any other commodity, and the bidding was brisk. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com.